0: Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our interactive daily broadcast where trusted leaders bring insights and analysis to the issues from a biblical perspective. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get biblical answers, information and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Andrew Womack.
1: Hello, and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. I'm Andrew Womack, and this is actually uh, Alex McFarland's day to host <laughs> this, but he's got a special guest on who's just really a blessing, and I asked if I could come crash the party, and they let me do it, but <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to Alex and let him introduce our guest. and. Uh, run this. And well, you're a blessing.
2: Well, you're a blessing too, my friend. We had a great show last night and a lot of calls and questions. Uh, attorney, pastor, and commentator Richard Harris was with us last night. But folks, tonight we've got a very special program and I want to give the number because in a few moments we will take your questions. The number for questions is 719-619-2341. 719-619-2341. And without further ado, because we want to have a conversation with this individual. Then we'll go to your calls and questions. And uh, this is a very special opportunity, folks. But uh, honestly, one of the great heroes of the faith of our generation is Ken Ham. Uh, Ken Ham is the founder of Answers in Genesis, very famously in northern Kentucky, the Creation Museum that they've got. I've been my joy to go there half a dozen times. But then, as if that wasn't wonderful enough, they built what is called the Ark Encounter. And millions of people have come to see this life-size, spot-on replica of Noah's Ark. But the thing I appreciate about Ken Ham for decades, uh, he is consistently courageously stood for the truth of the Word of God in the book of Genesis. The truth about creation, our origins. He's an expert on biblical worldview, a prolific author. But I would say he is a man God has used, like few others I could even think of, to help the body of Christ come back to standing on God's Word as it relates to origins. We're profoundly honored to have him on Truth and Liberty. Our friend and brother, Ken, Ham, welcome,
1: Ken.
2: Amen. Hey, uh, thanks,
3: Alex and Andrew, and uh, great to be able to talk with you and talk about uh, my favorite subject, <laughs> biblical yeah. authority and creation apologetics.
2: Amen. Amen. You, you know, Ken, you hit it on the head, biblical authority, um, and that—that that is the thing. I was on a show last night after we finished here. I did an interview out of Washington D.C., and the commentator, who I don't know if was a Christian asked me why has the church of professed Christianity deviated into wokeness and so many things? And I said, we we don't stand on the authority of Scripture. So if you would, Ken, um, tell us about why the authority of God's Word is so vitally important uh, in this and every generation.
3: Well, you know, first of all, you know, one of the things that i've always been on about is and and what we do at the ark and Creation museum is really quipping christians to have a biblical worldview because for many christians they tend to think that a biblical worldview is you know you sort of add god to your thinking you know you quote bible verses or something like that but a biblical worldview is understanding that our, our thinking has a foundation and there's only two foundations ultimately it's god's word or man's word and there's been a battle between God's word and man's word that started raging about 6,000 years ago when the devil came uh, to Adam and Eve and, you know, did God really say? Because God said to Adam, you can eat of all the trees, just one not, you're not to eat of. If you do, you'll surely die. And in other words, obey God's word. But the devil comes along and says, no, you be your own God. You decide truth for yourself, you know, um, don't believe God's word. Did God really say? And this battle began between two foundations. And what we have to understand is that that, that as Christians, our foundation is God's word. God knows everything. We are limited in knowledge. We know nothing compared to what God knows. You know, it's like uh, Job. We have to get to the position Job did when uh, God said, Job, do you know this? Do you know that? And so on. And in Job 42, you get to that position where he said, I see you now. You know all things. You know, I I repent in dust and ashes. Only God knows everything. So, for us to have the right way of thinking about everything, we have to start from God's word. But I'm going to go even further, and this relates to what's happened to the church today in a big way, uh, I believe, and that is, God's word is not just the foundation for our thinking. Genesis one to eleven is the foundation for the rest of the Bible, for all of our thinking, our biblical worldview. It's a foundation for all of our doctrine, for the gospel. In fact, it's the foundation for everything. And I'll make that statement. Genesis 1 to 11 is a foundation for everything. There's nothing ultimately that is not founded in Genesis 1 to 11. If you want to deal with any issue, any issue at all uh, in, in the world, you know, you want to deal with fossils, you want to deal with death and suffering, you want to deal with Uh, gender, you want to deal with marriage, you want to deal with abortion, you want to deal with racism, you want to deal with any issue, we have to start from the first 11 chapters of the Bible, which gives us a history in geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology that's foundational to everything. And unfortunately, we live in a time that really began in the 1800s, where that foundation has come under incredible attack. Uh, You know, back in the Late 1700s, early 1800s, there were atheists, primarily atheists and deists, but who were, who have a worldview of explaining everything by naturalism. And so, when it came to the fossil record, how do you explain this fossil record? They said, "Well, we don't believe in the flood. We don't believe in uh, the Bible. So those fossils were laid down over millions of years. Now they weren't there to see that, but." That's that's where they said the fossil record came from. We need to understand the idea of millions of years in our modern time came out of atheism primarily. Yes. It came out of naturalism. And so what happened? Well, there was Thomas Chalmers, the Pre-Church of Scotland, founder, who said, we can take the millions of years and put in a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2 and invented the gap theory. Then there are others who said, we'll reinterpret the days, the day age theory along comes Darwin and says well you got millions of years in biology now one kind of animal changes into another and there were Christian leaders who said well God used evolution we'll add that to the Bible then along comes the big bang we'll add that to the Bible and say God used the big bang and what you see happening is all of these different views arising in the church and there's many of them gap theory theistic evolution progressive creation local flood framework hypothesis it goes on and on There's there's a lot of them they all have one thing in common adding millions of years into the Bible. And you see, that has permeated the church. And so for a lot of church leaders, they say, well, Genesis is not that important. It doesn't really matter. Um, You can reinterpret Genesis. And what they've really done is undermine biblical authority right from the beginning and undermine the foundation of everything and a lot of the church then has been concentrating on well you know we just got to tell people about jesus and tell them bible stories you know jonah the great fish feeding the five thousand paul's missionary journey whatever it happens to be but the more that we've gotten away from the foundation of god's word for our thinking the foundation in genesis we have seen a generational loss from the church because Mm -hmm. generations of our kids have gone through a public education system that has become really churches of atheism. They throw God out, Bible out, prayer out, creation out. They impose the LGBT worldview on them. They give them the foundation of man's word. And those that are in the church, uh, for a lot of them, a lot of our leaders have said, well, you can believe all that. Doesn't matter, just trust in Jesus. But they realize if Genesis is not true, uh, and they're taught evolution as fact and millions of years as fact in the public schools. And so if Genesis is not true, how can I trust the rest of the Bible? And if they're not taught the foundation from Genesis, no wonder the LGBT movement can can uh, capture them because yeah. they've got the foundation of man's word, the foundation of marriage, the foundation of gender is right there in Genesis. And so we have seen a generational loss from the church coinciding with the increasing secularization of the culture. And it really goes hand in hand. And it's really because the church gave up biblical authority in our time, our era that began in the 1800s, I would say, beginning with Genesis. And that's a key to understanding what has happened in our culture, why so many churches are lukewarm, why so many are even going woke in many ways and getting soft on LGBT worldview, and why we've had this
2: generational loss from the church. Ken, let me ask you this, because I've talked to a lot of young people that they made a profession of faith and they came up in youth group perhaps, but they go away to college and they get Charles Darwin and evolution and they you know, bail out on their Christian faith. Here's my question. I've asked many pastors even, if you don't trust what God said about our past, why do you trust what God says about our future? You know, if the well, Bible... Exactly. If the, if the Bible is wrong on our origin, why do you trust what it says about our destiny? I mean, it's you got to take both ends. am I right? Oh, absolutely. And you know, there's, there's a gross
3: inconsistency here with some of these uh, pastors because they'll say we trust man's word on evolution about our past, well, man's word on evolution about the future is that you know eventually everything dies a heat death, and you know the sun wears out and other things. And uh, and yet, some, many of these pastors will say, well, Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a new heavens and new earth, and he's going to judge by fire and all the rest. But but wait a minute, if you're going to if you're going to believe man's word at the beginning, why don't you believe man's word at the end? And you know you're right. If you can't trust it. At the, at the beginning. Why should you trust it at the end anyway? But they, they inconsistently take parts of it, but not uh, the other parts. But it, it really comes down to people understanding. See, for a lot of Christians in churches, they haven't been taught Genesis 1 to 11 is literal history. Even conservative pastors, some of them have told me, is too divisive in the church. And that's why most Christians, th- they can't defend their faith. They don't really know what they believe. You know, for many people, they're looking out there and they're saying, look at all the problems in our culture, you know, abortion and gay marriage and the gender issues, LGBT. We've got racism, euthanasia. Now I've been talking about pedophilia and so on. Look at all the problems in the culture. We can't deal with all those problems. But I say to them, no, 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 they're all the symptoms. They've all got the same problem. The problem is that they have the wrong foundation of man's word. And that means they all have the same solution. and the solution is the truth of God's Word and the saving gospel. I mean, that's the solution, right? Mm-hmm. But because they haven't been taught correctly that Genesis one to eleven is the foundation for everything, they they don't understand uh, they don't understand worldview and they don't understand the fact that the, the reason we believe marriage is a man and a woman. the reason we, um, I believe abortion is killing a human being made in the image of God. The reason we believe there's one race, and we all go back to Adam and Eve, and there aren't any different races because of that history in Genesis one to eleven. So that's the foundation for our worldview. For the secularists, man's word is the foundation for their worldview. So the real battle out there is a battle between man's word and God's word. Um, But today that battle has particularly occurred over the book of Genesis because that's the foundation for, for the
2: rest of the Bible indeed. Uh, I want you to give your website. And, and folks, if you're just tuning in, you have got to go see the Ark Encounter. Uh, my wife and I have been three times. Uh, we took a group up there a fourth time. And Ken, again, uh, I commend you uh, for building something that literally is reminding the world about the authority of God's Word. But the museum, the Ark, what are the websites and how people can plan their trip out there, Ken? Oh. Uh, Now, I'll say that uh, the Creation Museum and the
3: Ark Encounter are the two leading uh, Christian-themed attractions in the world, and they're here in northern Kentucky, so just across the river from uh, Cincinnati. They're 45 minutes apart, and we do get about 1.2 million people a year coming to the Ark and about 600,000 coming to the Creation Museum. So we have a lot of people who are coming from all over the world, actually, all across America, all over the world. And the Ark Encounter uh, is uh, the biggest freestanding timber frame structure in the world. Uh, 3.3 million board feet of timber. It's one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field. And it's built 25 feet off the ground. So it stands 10 stories high at the bow and seven uh, stories high in the middle there. And you can walk through all three decks. There's 130 major exhibits on all three decks, answering all sorts of questions. And then outside, we have a virtual reality experience theater, we have a carousel, we have playground for kids, we have a zoo, we have live animal programs on a stage uh, there at uh, the zoo, we have beautiful gardens. We also have a conference center where we do daily programming. We have our own resident uh, artists actually. And uh, we do all sorts of teaching there. We do workshops. We have science lab where we do programs for young people. Uh, And then the Creation Museum is like a walk through the whole Bible and the whole history of the Bible and where it came from. And then we walk people through the Bible. We have a planetarium. Uh, We go into outer space and we have Mm. a 4D theater. Uh, We have the most powerful pro-life exhibit in the world called the Fearfully and Wonderfully Made exhibit. We have a dinosaur exhibit, insectarium, all sorts of beautiful gardens. We're building a big conservatory right now with uh, other greenhouses or glass greenhouses to raise the plants of the Bible and uh, have an education center there. We have an animal experience. There's nothing else like these places anywhere in the world. And so I give people the... The website for Ark Encounter is arkencounter.com, and you can go to arkencounter.com, and you can get to the museum uh, website from there uh, as well. It's creationmuseum.org, but if you go to arkencounter.com, find out all about that. Uh, And our main website for our ministry is actually answersingenesis.org, where we have literally tens of thousands of articles. Uh, and our online bookstore and so on but people can find out about the ministry and if they got a question you know type in the search engine there and it'll come up uh, with those answers but we're an apologetics ministry which doesn't mean we apologize for our faith as you know <laughs> apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which uh, is uh, in 1st Peter 3 15 where it says always be prepared to give an answer or defense. The word answer or defence there is translated from the Greek word apologia, and that's where we get our word apologetic. So we equip people to have a logical reason defence of the faith. And, yes. and, you know, what we do, too, we're very evangelistic organisation. So at the Ark and the Creation Museum, the gospel is presented clearly. We see people saved there, uh, and that's what it's all about. Thirty percent of non-Christians... Thirty well, percent of those who come, I should say, to the Ark uh, are non-Christians. Uh, so, I've, I've been there on days when I've seen Sikhs, Buddhists, Hindus, um, uh, Catholic nuns, priests, Amish, Mennonite, Presbyterians, Methodists, we even get Baptists. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Charismatics. I mean, it, it's everybody who yeah. come, is there. I mean, you don't see a mix like that normally in a church, and That's yet they true. come there, and it's a, it's a wonderful way. Uh, to bring people in to to give them God's Word and equip them. And Christians get on fire because they're equipped with answers. So, mm-hmm. there's my short little marketing ad for the Creation Museum and the app. <laughs> That's
2: right. Andrew,
1: have you been to the Ark? I have. I've been to the Ark and the Creation Museum. And Ken just treated me like I was a celebrity. Uh, well. He blessed us and was so kind to us. You know, let me just say this, It's you know, Genesis chapter 3 basically is what you're talking about, that the devil didn't come and just overpower Adam and Eve. He couldn't do it. He came against the Word of God, hath God said, and that's what you're talking about, Kim. The, the whole thing, if Satan can get us to doubt the accuracy of the Word of God, then what do we hang our faith on? Faith comes by hearing the Word.
3: Hmm. You're right, and you know, there's some very important point, actually, Andrew, and that is when you look at Genesis three one. Uh, when the devil came deep, did God really say the first attack was on the authority of the That's Word right. of God? Yeah. And then when you jump over to 2 Corinthians 11, 3 in the New Testament, God, through the apostle Paul, has this warning for us, beware lest by any means as the serpent beguiled ye through his subtlety, so your mind shall be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. In other words, to paraphrase it, I want to warn you, the devil's going to use the same method on you, mm-hmm. which means on 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 your kids, on your grandkids, on your friends. I mean, he's gonna use the same method that he used on Eve. There's the apostle Paul believing in a literal Eve. And what was the method he used on Eve? You go back to see what was the method? Did God really say? I call it the Genesis three attack. And that is the way in which the devil operates down through the ages, he's gonna use an attack on the word of God to get you, like Adam and Eve, to doubt God's word so that doubt will lead to unbelief. And as you look in history, there's been many attacks like that. There, there's those that had to uh, defend uh, the resurrection of Christ. There's those who had to deal with attacks on the deity of Christ or, uh, or on on salvation by, by grace and faith. And there's those that have had to deal with um, uh, uh, attacks on the virgin birth, and so it goes on. The attack today is particularly leveled at Genesis 1 to 11. It's the Genesis 3 attack of our day, and most of our church leaders, not
2: all, but most, have succumbed. And that's the sad thing.
1: It is. Ken,
2: uh, not too many years ago, you wrote a book called Already Gone. Uh, that was about kids that are maybe raised in church, but they went K-12 through 12 and college in public education, and they lose their faith. Talk about that book a little bit, and um, uh, maybe where people can get that book already gone. Yeah,
3: well certainly they can get it from our website, answersandgenesis.org, in our online store there. Uh, Now, Already Gone was actually published in 2009, and it's uh, really um, the the, the same sort of things are are happening today. But uh, George Barner had done some research, a Christian researcher in America, and I'm sure you're familiar with George Barna, and he'd done some research that showed two-thirds of young people were walking away from the church by the time they reached college age, and very few were returning. And we thought, well, that's very interesting because that fitted with, you know, my own subjective analysis of things because, you know, I've spoken in all 50 states in America and spoken all around the world and spoken in hundreds and hundreds of churches and all sorts of colleges and seminaries and so on in secular places too, secular universities. But in talking to pastors and in talking to others, you know, in 40 years of this ministry, I've heard over and over again, we're losing the younger generation. We're losing the younger generation from the church. And so um, when we saw that, we hired a group called America's Research Group and let's, and said, let's do our own research here. And the research we did, um, where they went out and interviewed these people and, and found that age group, why did you leave the church and so on. First of all, it's corroborated that about two-thirds were leaving. And if you, if you consider the fact that you go back to the 1700s, Uh, 70 to 80 percent of the population in america in the 1700s went to church Mm -hmm. but if you come down to 2010 only 18 percent of millennials going to church you come then down to 2021 less than nine percent of generation z so we're seeing we are losing those younger generations there's no doubt gallup polls george Varner, our own research others have shown church attendance has seen a generational loss and so we, In the research we did, we asked them, why did you leave the church? And what that book showed, and it's the same thing I find today uh, with uh, these people, what it showed very clearly uh, was that they weren't taught apologetics, so they weren't taught how to defend their faith. They weren't taught answers to the sceptical questions of this age that caused them to doubt God's word. Most Sunday school material is what I call fluff and stuff, it, it's Bible stories. You know what That's I mean. True. Uh, That's Jonah really true. and the great fish, the feeding of the five thousand, Paul's missionary journey, Jesus on the cross, Noah and the ark. Don't get me wrong; they're true, but we haven't taught them how to have a biblical worldview, starting from the Bible, starting from Genesis one to eleven, which is the foundation for marriage, foundation, you know, to deal with abortion or racism or anything like that it's more just Bible stories and another problem is the word story today has changed meaning you know we got to be careful the fact a lot of words have changed meaning and they're redefining words today in the secular world and so you know identity has changed meaning and race has changed meaning and story has changed meaning because story when you had a story in church it was we're gonna have a Bible story it's something that's true but you say story today to the younger generations and they say oh story is a fairy tale so we have stories at church. We learn real stuff at school. And there's a big problem. And so this research found that uh, these people weren't getting uh, their questions answered. And the interesting thing is part of the research also found that th- of those that left, the ch- uh, th- those of that age group, where two-thirds were leaving the church, of that age group, those that went to Sunday school regularly were actually war- worse off uh, than those that didn't go to Sunday school and in analyzing that I believe that was because of those that went to Sunday school regularly uh, a lot of them would have had Sunday school teachers and pastors that would tell them you can believe in evolution millions of years because one of the other things that came out in the research when they ask questions about dinosaurs or questions about you know uh, evolution or whatever they were either told don't ask questions which what we should be doing is answering those questions because they are questions that that they're asking or they were given answers like well you can believe what you were taught at school about evolution of millions of years so those that went to church had more church authority figures telling them to compromise god's word or not giving them answers and so it ended up uh, that's the reason we produced our own sunday school curriculum actually Amen. which is apologetics biblical authority worldview. view doctrine it's a uh, non-denominational program we also produce a VBS program that is uh, in the top three in the world and it's very unique because it's apologetics biblical authority in fact this year we we sold so many last year that we've had to increase our orders uh, this year by 35 percent because more and more people are realizing we need to teach them apologetics we need an emphasis on giving them the answers to the skeptical questions and You know, most churches haven't been doing that, and that's what this research showed. And a lot of pastors have told me that book revolutionized their thinking, revolutionized how they taught in church or how they taught in college, and recognized, and and I've had pastors tell me, when we started teaching apologetics and true biblical worldview, it started to stop and
2: reverse the generational loss from the church. Amen. I, I agree. And, and let me say, folks, uh, and Ken, you can speak on this. You do produce a lot of curriculum and great materials that that appeal to young people. But when I was out there at uh, the Creation Museum, uh, you've got scholars on staff doing research. You know, one of my close friends in the ministry has been Dr. Terry Mortenson, and I know there are many more. Uh, you're creating uh, compelling research uh, about creation and the evidence for it speak to that if you would.
3: Yeah we have a number of uh, PhD uh, researchers here because you know for an organization like ours like we have 700 full time staff and 650 part time and and seasonal staff uh, which which changes during the year. Uh, We're always looking for seasonal help in in the summer by the way from college students high school students who want a job at a Christian organization. Um, But um, we we, and we have speakers that go out and speak and run conferences. And of course, we have lots of writers writing books and curricula. So we want to make sure that we are of the highest integrity uh, when it comes to what we're teaching. And so we need to make sure that we've got really good research. And so, you know, we have a, a PhD re, a researcher as a PhD in biology from Harvard University. And we have a PhD astronomer, Dr. Danny Faulkner, uh, we have a PhD in molecular genetics. Uh, we have a PhD from Brazil who has a, a the, her PhD is in paleontology mm. uh, and so it goes on. So we've got a number of these uh, researchers and we do research Dr. Andrew Snelling as, is oh, our yeah. geologist, has a PhD in geology from Sydney University. And he's done an incredible amount of research at the Grand Canyon. In fact, we just He's just writing up some papers right now, it's probably some of them, but uh, we, we were denied access to the Grand Canyon because we were Christian and creationists, and we actually had to get ADF involved, and uh, we're taking the federal government to court. But uh, once they uh, did uh, the research and found letters from professors telling the Grand Canyon Parks Department not to allow us to do any research because we're Christian creationists, Uh, they realised, you know, they would lose in federal court. And so we had access to go and do that. And we published these results in our Answers Research Journal,
2: which is a free technical journal. Wonderful. Hey, forgive me, we've got a break coming up, folks. This is a great night. Our guest, Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. Now, we've got a brief break. We're going to come back and take telephone calls, so call up now if you have a question for Ken Ham or Andrew or myself. The number is 719-619-2341. If you need prayer, that number, 719 635 If you need to make sure that you're saved, call that number. But stay tuned, we've got a brief break. Truth and Liberty with our guest, Ken Ham, is back after this.
1: We are the antidote for what's happening in this world. But you need to see beyond the physical, and I believe that the greatest days of the church are ahead. God has a word for you. God has a plan for you. And God is raising up an army that knows how to fight the right fight the right way.
0: At Truth and Liberty Coalition we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty, and become a member today.
1: This is a godly nation. It was founded upon godly principles. God is calling us to rebuild his house so that he can manifest his
0: glory in the midst of a corrupt and pagan world. I would argue that America has been more prosperous, more successful than any other nation because we've done more in reading and applying
2: the Bible.
1: It is the history for Christians to speak out and to make a difference in this nation.
2: Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. We're visiting with our, our guest Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis and the Ark Encounter. You know, in the first segment we were talking about the authority of the Word of God. And in uh, John 10:35, Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. I mean, think about that. The only man that ever rose from the dead, virgin-born, sinless life, miraculous deeds, proven to be God incarnate, and Jesus' take on Scripture, Jesus said the Word of God cannot be broken. We need to uh, be in agreement with Jesus about the authority of of the Word. Well, we're going to go to calls, and the number is 719-619-2341. Andrew, you ready to pick up the phones? I'm ready. Let's go to New Jersey. Uh, is Rocco, uh, do I have your name correct? Is it Rocco in New Jersey?
4: Yes. Yes. Can you hear me?
2: Yes. yes Welcome to Truth and Liberty.
4: Awesome. Thank you. So here's my question, Alex. I was actually reading your book, um, Ten Answers for Skeptics, mm-hmm. and I got to the part where you were talking about the educated skeptic. And if you don't mind, I'm going to just share a quote. I have a question about it. So you say that the 6,000-year-old earth idea originated with Bishop James Usher. And you say that you're not arguing here for an old earth or a young earth. You say the important points are the Bible does not teach the world is 6,000 years old. And many Bible-believing Christians come down on different sides of this issue. So really my question is, it goes um, in the genealogies of Genesis 5 and 11. Those actually show the Earth is 6,000 years old because I have um, Andrew's living commentary and he has a chart showing that it dates back to about 6,000 years old. And I also, um, Ken Ham also has an article on if there's any gaps in the Genesis genealogies.
2: Thank you. Oh, great question. Uh, and I'm going to let Ken chime in on this. What I was doing in that book, uh, 10 Answers for Skeptics, I interviewed 32 of the world's top atheists, like Michael Shermer and Richard Dawkins. and. Uh, uh, oh, he passed away sadly, Christopher Hitchens. We had probably 10 hours of conversation. And what I was saying, in, I was not in any way trying to equivocate away from the young earth position, which I do hold, but I was saying in that, that for those atheists, if I had um, really made the age of the earth a contingency in understanding Jesus, I don't think they would have even listened to me. Now, I shared my position, but I tried to keep it about the deity of Christ and His resurrection. Now, about Usher's 4004 date of creation, which I I think that's a, a pretty generally accurate date, the one thing about the gaps in the genealogies, and Ken, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, Is it believed that the genealogies may not be exactly sequential, that there may be gaps in the genealogies, Ken?
3: Well, here's what I would say in regard to that. Um, When you look at the New Testament genealogies that are summaries there, uh, they're the ones that have the gaps in them because they're not detailed uh, genealogies and they're not meant to be. Uh, But when you start uh, reading there in, in Genesis, Uh, you'll find, you find, okay. So Adam was made on day six and let let me just back up a little bit here before I start that. And that is the only way you'd know how old the earth was, is if someone was there to tell you. And we have someone who's always been there and someone who's recorded for us history from the very beginning, uh, beginning of time in the beginning, God created the heavens and and the earth. And, you know, I want to sort of reiterate something that you said there. Uh, the age of the Earth is not a salvation issue, right? The Bible doesn't say if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God is raised him from the dead, and believe in a young Earth, you'll be saved. So it's not <laughs> it's not a salvation issue. Salvation right. is conditioned upon faith in Christ, Christ alone. Uh, it's it's not conditioned upon the age of the Earth, and it's not conditioned upon lots of other things you could say too, right? Uh, but isn't an important issue. It's an important issue because it's an authority issue. So if you take God's word as written, God made everything in six days, that's something else we could talk about, that the meaning of the word yom, day, qualified by evening, morning, number, night, etc., means an ordinary day. And so if you assume, and I believe they are to be from, from the Hebrew, that those days are ordinary days, God made Adam on day six. And then at 130 years old, he had a son, Seth. And then it goes through and tells you when seth had a son tells you when they died when they were born i don't see any gaps there in those old testament genealogies and then when you you can get to abraham and then from abraham you get to babe in a manger then you get from there you come to the present if you add up those dates as archbishop usher did and very similar to what he did uh, you get to about six thousand years so that's where i'd say the six thousand years comes from i know you know some of the creationists like henry morris in the uh, with uh, dr John Wickham in the Genesis flood that was published in 1961 they allowed for the possibility up to 10,000 years um, I, w- I I don't agree with that and I don't see that because I don't see any gaps there in the Old Testament genealogies I think they're very specific
2: mm-hmm. well said well said
1: you know let me ask a question or just in- interject this and I'd like to get your response again but it says here in Romans 5. It says, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And I agree with all of the things you're saying about, you know, you go a lot into the archaeology and about into paying top, paying, anyway, whatever you call that. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with all of those things, but to me, this is so simple that it says death entered through one man, Adam. Yes. And yet the whole millions of years in the and the evolution is dependent upon the cycle of death and rebirth and somehow or another changing. And that violates this whole principle that Adam is the one that brought death into the earth. Amen.
3: Yeah, and you know, you can read uh, Romans five twelve by one man sinned of the world and death by sin. Of course, you know, what some of the some of these compromising theologians come back and say is, Yeah, but that's just talking about death of humans, it's not talking about death of animals, they're trying to justify having a fossil record with all these animals millions of years before man. Of course, then you jump back to the to the old testament and Genesis 1, 29 and thirty, God said Adam and Eve were to eat fruit and it said the animals were vegetarian. Uh, so they didn't eat each other. And not only that, there's something even more than that. You know, Romans 8 tells us the whole creation groans now because of sin. If you look in the fossil record, uh are supposedly millions of years old. For a start, you've got fossil thorns that are said to be hundreds of millions of years old. The Bible says thorns came after the yeah. curse. How That's can right. you have fossil thorns like that? Mm-hmm. And then you've got diseases in the bones in the fossil record. You've got cancer, you've got... Um, arthritis, you've got Mm -hmm. tumors, well documented. How could all that exist before sin? Because when God made Adam and Eve, then he said everything he made was very good. So if you're going to believe in millions of years, you're calling cancer very good, you're calling diseases very good, Mm -hmm. uh, then that is is an attack on on the character of God. And if you believe in millions of years, you've got death before sin, then you're blaming God for death. But right. God right. blames our sin for death, uh, right? So, it, there's a lots of theological issues here too that are very
2: Amen. important. There was no death before the fall. God, great question, good answers. I tell you what, let's do, Let's go to Robert in Florida. Uh, Robert in Florida, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty.
4: Hi, um, my question is pretty simple. Um, there's a scripture in Hebrews that says the worlds were framed by the word of god and held together by the word and it just made me think what about the idea of second law thermodynamics talking about natural philosophy it talks about that and then evolution as progressive and the, the dynamics of second law say that it's, it's decaying doesn't that those two contradictions completely undermine the whole structure of natural philosophy i well not, i and yeah,
3: I would say destroy. yes because everything is running down, and yeah. you know, you you, you put a um, it, it, when you, when you have uh, like a live plant, uh, it can capture energy and it can produce leaves and so on and produce sugars because it's already got all the machinery there and all the rest of it. Uh, but uh, when the, you've just got a stick out there, uh, it just uh, deteriorates and. Uh, the thing is, what that's what's happening. Things are generally just deteriorating. They're just generally running down. The whole of creation groans. And the older you get, the the more you groan, too. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> isn't that right, Alex? Uh,
2: uh, well, uh, well, it's coming, yeah. Well, I'm the oldest of the three right here. So. I, I'm 15. Oh, and you know, Ken, there was um, a scientist named Rudolf Clausius. I remember I was reading about the law of entropy, that everything is running down, and Clausius said there's nowhere that this second law is not observed and i mean w- wouldn't right. that alone stop evolution in its tracks yeah you would
3: uh, you would you would think so and, and and my point of using the um plant uh example there is the fact that you've got to have a, a created machinery to be able to produce something and it, it can't come about by chance, you know, just energy or matter can't produce any life. And besides which, you know, DNA, that molecule of heredity that makes up our chromosomes, our genes, is an information system and a language system. And matter can't produce a language, matter can't produce Uh, information. There's zillions of bits of information. Where did it all come from? It was all created. Now we're not producing. There's no we don't see any new information being produced. Things are now running down and falling apart and the information is being mutated and there are mistakes. So it's the opposite of any evolutionary process. Absolutely. And
1: let me just say for those that aren't scientists the way that you guys are, the second law, and correct me if I'm wrong, the second law of thermodynamics says everything is going from order to disorder, whereas evolution is the opposite, saying everything goes from ultimate chaos into this extreme complexity. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah, that everybody it, understood that.
3: that. That's true. And you know, you start. Supposedly, you start with matter, which they don't explain where it came from.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, you know, they'll believe in eternal matter or eternal something, but not an eternal God, mm-hmm. uh, because they don't want the implications that God owns them and therefore, you know, sets the rules and they have a problem. And then, supposedly, matter produces this information, so you get more and more information, more and more complexity. The opposite of what's occurring. The opposite of what we see.
2: Mm, Great question. Thank you, Robert. Uh, Let's go to Jesse in Oklahoma. Jesse, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty with our special guest, Ken Ham.
4: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, Yes. I just had a pretty quick question. Uh, I have a co-worker who is really into like the book of Enoch, and he asked me about it, and I really didn't know much about it. I was just wondering if if you could explain
5: it a little bit.
2: Great question. Uh, l- let me kind of kick this off, and then, uh, guys, I'll throw to you. You know, um, the, the canon of Scripture, Genesis through Malachi, Matthew through Revelation, we call that the canon, and 66 books, and, and I believe that the Bible we have is the canon of Scripture God gave. There's, there's no more... Uh, holy scripture than the Bible you have. Now, there are ancient writings uh, that are of historical curiosity, one of which is a book called uh, the Book of Enoch, uh, or it's referred to in the Book of Jude. In Jude, verse 14, talks about Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Now, let me say there were some tests for canonicity, uh, Jesse, and the the early church and the apostles, those people that walked with Jesus, and then the the post-apostolic people, those people who knew the people that knew Jesus, the book of Enoch, uh, which does reference the flood actually, but it wasn't scripture, it was never said to be scripture, although there were 1900 years ago, a small group of Coptic Christians that thought it was canonical. But um, whenever I meet people, and this is just me, but I meet a lot of young people, and they're intrigued by the idea of, you know, the quote-unquote lost books of the Bible, which there really aren't any, Uh, I say, look, let's read and believe the books that we know are Scripture. Let's not invest all that much time on things that are Never were viewed as scripture. They might be historical curiosities, but let's go with the revealed Word of God that we do have, which tells us to be born again in Jesus. But would either of you guys like to?
1: Well, I agree. I've read the book of Enoch and it's interesting, but I can't say that it's inspired or anything like that. And I, I agree with you that the people who put the canon of scripture together. They examined it. It's not like they missed it. They decided that it was not scriptural. So mm-hmm. it's interesting reading, but I certainly wouldn't base my faith on it. Right. How about now, you? Ken? When you
3: look at these books that are not in the canon of scripture, you see that they're inferior to scripture. There's contradictions in them. Uh, you know, scripture is very unique. And uh, actually, if you come to the Creation Museum, Uh, We have a whole exhibit exhibit that we redid a number of years ago where we talk about the whole history of the Bible and how the canon of Scripture came about. And, you know, just because uh, we do have uh, some places in the Bible, there's a place here or there, where an outside source is quoted Um, You know, even Paul quoting, you know, the Greek prophets or whatever. uh, That doesn't mean that, therefore, all those sources are the inspired word of God. Because there are things that you can quote for purposes of maybe teaching, or there's things that other people say that can be true as well. But that doesn't mean they're the word of God, and you should take it to be the word of God.
2: Yeah, well said. Thank you, Jesse. Let me
1: interrupt interrupt for just a second and say that Todd and Marcia have been holding for a while, but uh, we've only got Ken with us for another 12 minutes, and so we're taking the questions that relate directly to him, and if you can hold Todd and Marcia, we'll come to you after the next break.
2: That's a good good point. So let's go to Texas and talk to Ron. Uh, Ron, welcome to Truth and Liberty with our guest, Ken Ham.
5: Yes,
6: uh, thank you for the program. I've been looking forward to this for a week. Uh, Gentlemen, is there anything we know that we need to get uh, the concept of creationism to challenge evolution since it exists in the school being taught here in Texas as change over time? Do you know of any place where there is a program that has been tried to introduce that basically takes? God out of the loop and just talk about the scientific evidence for creation to go in uh, to the classroom as a, a non-religious type study? Is there any way that we should be focusing that way instead of trying to bring the whole of Christianity in because of the uh, conflict that we see uh, millions of of years versus you know six thousand years.
3: Uh, so any- le- let me let me answer that and I might shock you with my answer here um, and I might say something you're, you're not prepared for maybe. I don't know but um, uh, I'll say two things. I'll, I'll leave my my other one for the second thing. First of all uh, there have been uh, instances in the past where people have tried to bring in uh, courses into public school, whether it's intelligent design based on the intelligent design movement where they don't mention who God or anything like that. They just talk about basically design and so on. But, you know, secular schools. Secular means anti-God. Secular is a religion. We've got to understand you mentioned without having religion, we've got to understand that everyone has a religion. Everyone has a worldview. There's no non-religious position. You know, the Bible says you're either for Christ or against. You walk in the light or darkness, you gather or scatter, you build your house on the rock or the sand. I mean, there's no non-neutral position. Uh, uh, there's no, should I say there's no neutral position. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's no such thing as neutrality. And so you can't bring a non-religious position in the school. when when they're teaching evolution, that is a religious position. It's a religion of naturalism. And the the thing is that um, when when it really boils down to it, see, i'm I understand intelligent design arguments, and I understand the intelligent design movement. But we got to remember this, and this is my little shocking statement for you: creationists will go to hell just like an evo- evolutionist if they don't believe and trust the creator for salvation. Mm. <laughs> and there's no point trying to convert people to be creationists. What is the point? We want to convert them to to be Christian. And you 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 know when you when you say to them, oh, if you were to teach them, look, uh, we see design. Well, of course, the evolutionists will just reinterpret the same evidence to say, yeah, but evolution is a designer. Evolution designed that. And when you say, well, you can you can just look out at at nature and see there's a designer. The problem is you look at nature and you see death and bloodshed and violence and horrible things. So if there's a designer responsible for that, he must be an ogre. So if you're talking about God, God must be an ogre. Um, from an evolutionist perspective, it's evolution that's the yoga that produces death and struggle to bring things into existence. Uh, so re- really, the, the the bottom line is you can't introduce a neutral teaching of anything anywhere because there is no neutral position. Everyone has a religion. And if you are really trying to teach uh, concepts of design and so on, uh, and, and, and you're not using the foundation of God's Word, then you're teaching it within a secular worldview anyway, and you're not uh, pointing them to the truth uh, of God's Word and the saving gospel. And as Andrew said it earlier, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And that's what we've got to remember.
1: I think that's an excellent answer. That was really good. That's a great answer. And you know, even if we all believe that there is the fossil record confirms short-term earth instead of these millions of years. We all believe that that's the truth. But if you try and get people to believe that's true by things outside of the Bible, then that's where their faith is. And faith only comes through the word of God. So I agree, Ken, we got to point them back to the word and we've got to quit apologizing when we aren't the ones that are weird. It's the people that believe that a single cell could somehow develop into this complexity that we see. Those are the weirdos.
3: Yeah. And, and by the, the way, um, I'll, I'll be a little bit more maybe radical for some people here and yeah. say this. Um, you, you can't salvage a system that's secular. Amen. It's secular. Yeah. You, you've got to rebuild from the foundation up. That's why we have our own Christian school, uh, Answers Amen. Academy. That's why there are Christian colleges, because you can't Christianize a secular worldview and change Amen. it from the top down. It's got to be rebuilt from the foundation up.
2: Amen. You know the old saying, it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead. And that, that's why, and I'm only speaking for myself here, but I, I think the hope of our country and fidelity to the gospel, uh, parents need to get their kids out of public education. I, and I've been around the block a dozen times and I know for some families it's a sacrifice and it's a, a heavy lift but either private school home school Christian school and I know we're living in the golden age of good curriculum to help parents Absolutely. and you know I was I was youth pastor for 11 years Angie and I have been involved in youth work for literally 35 years and uh, Ken I, I've I'm just I'm only speaking for me. I've given up on public education. It is so anti-God Alex
3: if if I can say this. I wrote a book on the family um, and called Will They Stand Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. And in there I also deal with this issue where parents say our kids need to be in the public school to be witnesses to the other kids. And I ask them uh, what's your biblical justification for that. Right. And if I get one it'll be well where to be salt. And I, I remind them, you know, if you read Matthew five and 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 Mark and and where it talks about salt, um, for instance, we're told in Scripture, have salt in yourselves. And here's a here's a very simple statement: you can't be salt till you have it, right? And if the salt's contaminated, it's good for nothing. Yeah. And so we need to be pouring in that salt of biblical truth. I mean, when our kids are born, they don't know about the Bible, they don't know about Adam and Eve, they don't know about you know, uh, the promise of the Saviour or the flood, they don't know about the Tower of Babel, they don't know about... The babe in a manger they don't know about the cross the resurrection they don't know any of that and they don't know the answers to the skeptical questions of our age that cause people to doubt that warning about the genesis 3 attack we need to pour in that biblical truth also be equipping them that's what my father did with us teach us the answers to the attacks on god's word of the age pouring in that biblical truth so as uncontaminated as possible so they can be sold out there you can't just throw your kids to the world and let them pour contamination in and expect they're going to survive the majority look the majority have not uh, by far the majority of kids from church homes that have gone to the public schools there's exceptions of course but by far the majority have left the church they've walked away uh, we've lost them that's the all gone group and uh, parents need to wake up to this we have a responsibility before the lord uh, to train up those children that are a gift from him to us. They don't belong to to Joe Biden. They don't belong to to the politicians. They belong to parents and ultimately to God. And it's our responsibility to train them as God said. Yeah, I got I got on my little soapbox about that.
1: I agree a hundred percent. And you know this has been a topic that we discuss often. Probably every week it comes up. And we have had some callers come in and say, but don't we as, as Christian teachers need to be in there making a difference? And there are some godly Christian teachers. And I remember David and Tim Barton were on when we were discussing this. And David said, yeah, you know, on the Titanic, they had a really great orche- orchestra. <laughs> and so are we supposed to be a part of that system and go down with it? Or, man, do we need to get out of there and start mm. our own Christian education? Wow. And, and, you know, parents are different.
3: I mean, Adults are different to kids, and kids aren't miniature adults. But, you know, when I've had a lot of these people tell me, you know, that they're in there to witness, but are you really? I mean, it's very hard to do anything in the public schools. Your hands are tied, and these days you'll be fired if you say anything or even show a Bible. So, why be in that system?
1: I wouldn't speak against any Christian teacher who feels like that that's their mission field, but I agree with right. you, Ken. It's their they got both hands tied behind their back and they're trying to fight this system and it's just very hard and I think you'd be better served to get involved in a Christian education because man the we God need to be raising. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we need to be raising up generations of godly people who can be
2: effective witnesses out there. So Amen. you know.
1: You don't throw your children
2: to the lions. Uh, we got to pull away in here in just a second. Uh, I want to say to all the pastors out there, pastors, church staff, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, Uh, Go to Answers in Genesis website. Begin to teach all ages biblical worldview, but especially young people, and teach young people about creation and Genesis and watch them begin to understand the framework of looking at life through God's Word, God's truth. Ken, you're doing a a wonderful job. And uh, the Museum of the Ark, give those websites again if you would, Ken. Yeah, for the Ark Encounter, it's arkencounter.com.
3: And for the museum, it's creationmuseum.org. And I encourage people, we're within a one-day drive of two-thirds of America's population. That's why we're built here in northern Kentucky, uh, right near Interstate 75, second busiest north-south interstate in America. It's very easy to get to. If you fly and fly into Cincinnati Airport, uh, it's only 10 minutes from the Creation Museum and uh, 35 minutes from the Ark Encounter. And so
1: um, make sure you come. And Ken, you also have a lot of curriculum that people for homeschool could use, don't you?
3: Uh, we have a, a homeschool Bible curriculum. Uh, we have all sorts of materials. Yeah, if they go to answersandgenesis.org, go to our online store, you'll see an incredible range of material and curricula. And we're working on a whole biblical worldview curriculum for Christian school right now as well. So we're always producing new materials. What, what about Sunday school in small groups? Yeah, for Sunday school, it's called Answers Bible Curriculum. It's a four-year curriculum that's chronological through the Bible, uh, teaches apologetics, biblical authority, uh, biblical worldview, doctrine for all ages, uh, Mm. for kindergarten through adult. And uh, we have a homeschool version of that as well.
2: Well, Ken, thank you so much. You're very gracious with your time. Thanks for being with us tonight. And look forward to seeing you soon when we're out at the Ark. I'll be there at the end of October uh, with the American Family Association. But uh, folks, Oh, great stay- see you then. Praise God. Uh, We're going to take more calls. The lines, uh, we've got callers, but there's room for your call, my friend. So 719-619-2341. I do want to say you can go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. The articles we write, the content we generate, you'll get it in your inbox. Truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. Stay tuned. We're back after this.
1: It's not enough to know what God's will is, but you have to learn how to do things God's way. Now, because of the new man on the inside of me, because of the cross, I can daily deny self. And if you don't learn to do that, you're not gonna fulfill all God's will for your life. You know, you don't find the beginning of God until you get to the end of yourself. This generation, is a generation of great darkness, and God is raising up a deliverer to shine in the midst of all of this darkness. But in Christ Jesus, I can do all things through Christ. Some people just quote, I can do all things. No, you can't. But through Christ, you can do all things. You gotta have these two opposites in balance. I'm nothing, but I'm everything in Christ.
2: Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. What a great night. Listen, you'll want to watch again our conversation with Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. The website, and I'm going to ask a favor, if you would tell your friends about it, truthandliberty.net. And share it with those you know about. They, they can watch this conversation again. Now we've got more calls tonight. And I want to go to the phones, uh, 719-619-2341. But let me ask you one more thing. If you would pray about supporting Truth and Liberty, we are calling people to serve God and country. Uh, folks, we're really in a spiritual battle for the future of the country. And if you go to truthandliberty.net, slash donate. If you would make a a gift of at least $5 a month, a recurring monthly gift. I was this morning in a meeting with some of the people that help run the show, and uh, thousands and thousands are subscribers, and they're partners with us, and it is making a difference. This summer, I did seven youth camps, and I had high schoolers come up to me, and they say, Mr. McFarland, we watch Truth and Liberty. Isn't it's that the floor. Yo, awesome. so, so stand with us. Let's do this, folks. God can use us.
1: And let me also mention that we've got a Truth and Liberty conference coming yeah. up on September the 7th through the 9th. We're going to have a theatrical presentation that is going to be awesome about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. It's going to be great. we got Chad uh, Connolly coming, a congressman, uh, Lucas Miles, Janet Porter, who's the one who pushed the uh, heartbeat bill through. And stuff, Mohammed Faridi, and of course, I'll be speaking, Alex, Richard, and David it's going to be a great time. David Barton, and in the bottom portion of your screen is a little QR code. And if you would just click on that, uh, you can go directly to the site and you can register. It's a free conference, but we do need to know who's coming. And so we'd encourage you to be a part of that. Last year's conference was one of the best I've ever been a part Amen. of. Amen. It's awesome.
2: Uh, amen, the momentum is building and we want you to be a part of it. Well, we're gonna go to Todd in Alabama. Todd, you've been holding a while and I thank you and we welcome you to this edition of Truth and Liberty.
6: Well, hello, I appreciate y'all taking my question and thank y'all for having the, this live Bible study and um, talking about the Word of God. It, uh, I think it's a good thing y'all are doing and thank you guys for doing that and being a part of it. My You're question welcome. I have, i heard different teachings But it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, where it says on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name? And then he will say to them, depart from me, you users of iniquities. Is that talking to the born again believer? Or is that talking to the person that maybe thinks they're saved by going to church, doing good works? Can y'all clarify who is the scripture verse talking to?
1: You know, let me answer by saying that if you look that same passage up in Luke, I think it's Luke 6 or 7. I'd have to look it up. But it's the exact same thing, Jesus teaching. And over in that passage, he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. Mm. It wasn't that I knew you and you lost it. So I believe that these are people who were saying that they had cast out devils, that they had done many mighty works. And somebody says, how does a person think they've cast out devils? I actually had a brother-in-law who was a Baptist pastor that I was talking to him about walking in the supernatural and seeing miracles. And he says, I see miracles. And I said, what miracle do you see? And he says, well, you know, he says, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So people get uh, sick and we tell them to go to the doctor and they get healed, and so we've, we've healed people, and when people have demonic problems and stuff like that, we tell them to go to a psychiatrist, and they take medicine and get over it, and so he says, I've cast out devils, I've healed the sick, and he honestly believed that he was doing that. So mm. Todd, I believe that that could be a modern day example of people saying that they were doing all of these things and yet he never knew them. So I don't yeah. think it's believers, I it, think it's unbelievers.
2: Yeah, I, the Matthew 7:21 through 24 is unbelievers. You know, in a way it's almost the opposite. You know, uh, a born again believer will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. This is the opposite of that in Matthew 7, 23. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. And I think about this, go back to verse 22. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord, uh, didn't we prophesy in your name, uh, cast out devils? And almost with desperation they're saying, Lord, we did." many wonderful works. All right. Religious words are not the same thing as being born again. Being able to do religious deeds, that's not the same thing as being born again. Going to services and doing uh, moral things. We should live morally, but that's not salvation. So, notice He says, I never knew you. See, the key to going to heaven is having a relationship with Jesus. It's not just outward ritual, but it's inward reality. And there might be somebody listening right now tonight. And folks, we, we often say this, but Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Folks, whoever you are, I want you to ask yourself, have I been born again? Was there a time when I turned from sin, put my faith in Jesus? And maybe tonight you want to be sure and, and be for for sure that you're saved. And I want you to call a number and somebody will pray with you with an open Bible. They'll show you God's Word, how you can know that you have Jesus in your life. We don't want you to be one of those that you, you face the Lord one day and He says, y- you weren't saved. No, be saved. So the number, to pray with somebody, and no strings attached. We just want to help you know Jesus. It's 719-635-1111. 719-635-1111. Make sure that you're saved, and you can do that tonight.
1: Amen. And we've got some lines open if people want to call, so 719-619-2341 is the number to get you on the Truth and Liberty call-in program.
2: Marcia in Washington Thank you for, Marsha, I've got to ask, uh, Washington State or Washington, D.C.?
5: I'm in the state of Washington at the top of the map.
2: God bless you. Well, thank you for holding. Welcome to the program.
5: Um, I am calling. I, I heard you say earlier, I've been listening on that, um, you know, we can't go to the world for our um, uh, issues. I've been under spiritual attack. And I I just need to know what to do about it. The state of Oregon have um, taken my license and with my mortgage, I've been trying to get a history and um, no history. And then I have someone who has broken in my house on several occasions and I don't have an alarm system, but I haven't been able to do to stop them is well, I was wondering how to pray against these attacks of Satan. You know, well, to, my-
1: to, to be specific with your situation, we'd have to spend a lot of time getting the whole details. But let me say this, that I think that a lot of victory over Satan is an attitude. Uh, for instance, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, Jesus said that since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is preached and the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And you have to get this violent attitude. If Satan has been attacking you, Marcia, then you don't need to just say, oh, God, help me or God, help me out of this. You need to get aggressive mm-hmm. fighting the devil. You know, if I touch Alex like that, that's no big deal. He can let go. But if I was to haul off and run and throw myself at him, he has to hit me with equal force or I'm going to knock him off of his feet. And so if you've been under attack, what I would tell you is that you need to get really seeking the Lord and get angry, not at people, but at the devil. The devil mm-hmm. is trying to steal from you. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, be angry and sin not. That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that there is a way to get angry and have a flesh flash and still not be sinned. This is talking about there is a godly, a righteous type of anger, mm-hmm. and then it goes on to say, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That's talking about don't ever let this anger go to sleep. And I believe that one of the reasons that I have been protected from so many things, physical, emotional, emotional, Uh, people attacking me is because I am pretty aggressive. And anytime I see Satan rear his head, man, I get angry. I fight and uh, it punishes the devil. And it's similar to like a bully. Mm. If a bully knows that he's going to have to pay a price if he picks on you, he won't pick on you quite as much, so you got to get aggressive.
2: That that Matthew 11 verse 12 is very important, and I've got a whole teaching on that. But let me read James 4 just a little bit. And Marcia, we we stand with you in the name of Jesus, that you'll you'll be delivered from the attacks of Satan, but also that you'll, as Andrew says, get aggressive. Uh, James 4 7 says, "Submit yourselves therefore to God." Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you you double-minded. All right, you see some verbs in here. Submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify. Now, purifying our heart, I I really think that's about like renewing our mind with Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, and beginning to see all of life through the lens of God's Word. But it is a promise. It's a principle. If you lean in to Jesus, and you just draw near to God, and follow God in every area of your life, and in the name of Jesus, rebuke Satan. Um, he
1: will, he has to, because yeah. God's Word says it. But that word resist is an active word. Some people think, well, God, help me to get over this, is resisting the devil. That word literally means to actively fight against is what the Greek word means. Mm-hmm. So this is a strong, aggressive type of thing. I was with um, R.W. Shambach one time and mm-hmm. held a meeting with him. And uh, he told a story about a woman Who came up and asked if God could help her find a new place because her next door neighbor was a witch and she cursed her at night and sprinkled powder outside the door and she had all of this stuff and she says, I've got to move. And Shambok said, I won't pray with you. And she was shocked. Why won't you? And he says, if anybody moves, it ought to be the devil, not Mm -hmm. you. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so he whispered to her and told her what to do. And so she went home that night. And she turned off the light, and sure enough, here comes this neighbor, and she could hear her out there dancing and chanting and shit, sprinkling this powder and going through these curses. And this lady just all of a sudden threw the door open, kicked her shoes off, and in her stockings got out there and danced in the powder and started praising God and said that it scared the witch so bad that she moved out the next day. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> so that's what you got to do, Marsha, with the devil. He's attacking you, but you're the one that has the right and power, and he is illegal in doing it, and you need to make him pay for it. Get Amen. his case.
2: Amen. That, that, may God bless you, give Amen. you strength and victory and courage, Marsha, in Jesus' name. Uh, hey, we're gonna go to Frank in Missouri and we've got time for some more calls, folks. If you wanna call and get in the queue, uh, it's 719-619-2341. I gotta tell this story. Do you know Dutch Sheets? I do, I, he's I,
1: ministered in our school.
2: Real. have you heard the story about one night that um, he felt like there was just demonic oppression and the bed moved? And have you heard about that? Well, was this him or Smith Wigglesworth? I, I thought it was Dutch Sheets who well, demanded. It? And I, I don't know, but I know a Smith Wigglesworth story too. But um, somebody told me that uh, he was in this hotel or somewhere, a retreat center, and the bed moved. And he rebuked Satan in Jesus' name. And then he thought, wait a minute, uh, I got to move this heavy bed back. And he demanded Satan put the bed back where it was.
1: Yeah, I've heard that told on Smith. Oh. But it could have been him too. And also Smith Wigglesworth, there was a time that he saw movement at the foot of his bed. This is when they had candles. You know, They didn't have lights the way we do. And uh, he saw something and he held up his candle and looked and there was a demon standing at the foot of the bed. And he goes, oh, it's just you and blew out the candle and went to bed.
2: Not afraid. (laughs) That's a person that knows his power and authority. Amen. Uh, The authority we have in the Word of God. Well, uh, Frank in Missouri. Frank, thanks for holding. And, uh, hey, thank you. Howdy,
7: howdy, howdy. It's such a privilege. Yeah, and I'm thinking that it was uh, Lester Summerall that uh, I heard a story about him being in Haiti. So whoever whoever it was, it was the, it's the power. That...
1: You know, a lot of preachers quote other people and claim it for themselves. There's no telling <laughs> who actually did that.
7: <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyways, I want to ask about the Melchizedek priesthood. If you, if you guys could uh, uh, comment, or if, if you know the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, came uh, in 1947 and Israel becoming a nation at the same time, and then but the but the Melchizedek scrolls. I wonder if you knew anything about those scrolls being found, and uh, and uh, yeah, and, and and what is the Melchizedek priesthood?
1: Well, I'm familiar with the Melchizedek priesthood. That's expounded on in Hebrews chapter 7, but I'm not familiar with the Melchizedek scroll. Do you know anything huh?
2: about it? I actually don't. I I've uh, not heard of it. Either. I, I I haven't. Frank, what what is the Melchizedek scroll? Do you kn- do you know much about it?
1: Frank, You're still there? Frank? BC? Yeah. Uh, am I able to Yeah, speak? I can hear you. Uh-huh.
7: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I was blessed to be in Israel, uh, as you know, Alec. And uh, and anyways, we went up into a uh, Quanram there, and uh, this brother, I'm crazy man. They, they told me don't climb, don't go up there. And it was I climbed up, uh, and uh, in this mountain, and and. Uh, and they, they say that they found the uh, scrolls of Melchizedek, 192 B.C., and, and I've just been reading on it. I read uh, N.T. Wright, uh, that he has a commentary out, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading out that there's a... Uh, a, 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 a no, I meant to read it again today, but I didn't do it. But anyways, there there's they found a bunch of scrolls. So, you know, in my estimation, God ain't... You know, they, they, they say 400 years of silence. There, there ain't never been 400 years aside. so. God's always been talking. We just ain't been listening is my hmm. estimation.
1: Well, you know, I'm familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls and those were found in the late 1940s and uh, they have confirmed that our translations are accurate. They're up to a thousand years or, or 500 years ahead of the manuscripts that our Bible was translated from and yet the accuracy confirms that we haven't lost anything in the translation. So I'm familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I've not heard about Uh, the Melchizedek Scrolls.
2: uh, Let me uh, talk a little bit about Genesis 14 because there's, of course, the very famous um, account of Abraham meeting Melchizedek verse 18 of Genesis 14, King of Salem, who brought forth bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God. By the way, the word uh, Most High God there is uh, El Elyon, uh, Almighty God. So, Melchizedek was a person. He's referenced again in Hebrews chapter 7. And uh, Abraham, uh, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Now, the question is, what is the Melchizedek priesthood? And I want to be very careful because Um, I know the Mormon church talks about this as if it's a separate type of preaching and everything. And first of all, I don't think the the Mormon church is authentic New Testament Christianity for a lot of reasons. They've got a wrong view of God, a wrong view of Jesus, a wrong view of salvation. But when Hebrews 7 says that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, in the Old Testament, there were a lot of uh, what were called types or uh, precursors that in many ways mirror who our Savior would be. Joseph in Genesis 37 through 45. Uh, Joseph was in some ways like Jesus. King David was was like Jesus, King Solomon. Well, Melchizedek uh, represented the true and living God. And I think that in blessing Abraham, he was affirming the Abrahamic covenant. Remember in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham uh, soil, seed, and a savior. (laughs) I'm going to give you everywhere your foot treads. I'm going to give you descendants more numerous than the stars of the heaven, Abraham. And then Abraham, Genesis 12, 3, through you all the families of the earth would be blessed. So all of that to say this, I think that Melchizedek was one of many Old Testament figures that pointed to the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, that's the, the main lesson we learned. Now, there's a whole other story, we could do a whole show, was Melchizedek, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus. I'm not going to open that Pandora's box. I'm, I'm sure you've taught on that. Yeah. Before. Well,
1: Hebrews chapter seven says that Jesus was like Melchizedek, who had neither beginning of days nor end of life. And what that's referring to, some people interpret that that he was wasn't born and never died. So it was Jesus manifest uh, pre pre-incarnate. But it could just be referring to the fact that his birth wasn't recorded, nor his death. He just, uh, Genesis 14 is the only uh, scriptural reference we have outside of one prophecy in the book of Psalms where it says, Jesus will be, or the Messiah will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So it could just be referring to, and using this symbolism, that in the same way that there was no beginning or end, of Melchizedek recorded in scripture, that's the way that Jesus is. Jesus predated everything by him. All things were created and of course he will uh, reign forever and ever. Mm. So Melchizedek is a tremendous type and shadow as Mm. uh, Alex was saying. And And the reason it's recorded in the book of Hebrews is because the book of Hebrews is to transition people from the Old Testament covenant way of serving God to the New Testament And since Jesus is now our high priest, Hebrews chapter 3, and he wasn't a Levite. He was from the tribe of Judah. Mm -hmm. That means that the priesthood had to be changed. And so the writer of Hebrews went back and cited this promise. That the Messiah would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then it says, because the priesthood has changed, there has to be a change of the entire law. We are no longer under the Old Testament law. We're under the New Testament grace. So that's a real quick summary.
2: Well said. well, uh, Frank, thank you for such a good question. And uh, thanks for watching Truth and Liberty. Uh, We're going to go to Illinois. Uh, Patty in Illinois, thank you for holding. And you're on Truth and Liberty.
8: Hi, good evening. Good evening. I had a question um, about your thoughts on near-death experiences. There seem to be a lot of stories appearing and even in ministries that are based on that now. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. And if you believe that Paul was having a near-death experience when he referred to being caught up into the third heaven.
2: well. Wow. Um, you, you want to start? I've got a little thought on that.
1: Well, let me say about Paul that I've heard many people say that he was caught up in the heaven and that that was what you're calling a near-death experience. I've never, gone, I've never made a commitment one way or the other because the Bible doesn't say. So I don't have a definite opinion. As far as other people that have had near-death experiences, you know, Jesse Duplantis is a friend of mine and he's been to heaven and he, he shares all kinds of things. But Jesse will even tell you, and I believe anybody who is, has integrity will tell you that this is what they experienced, but you don't base your faith on any of that. This, the Word of God, is the foundation of our faith. And if you hear something that would complement or confirm something that is in the Word, well then that's great, but don't move away from the Word and start putting your faith in this experience. You know, there is a book that I give out often called *Intramuros*. It, it's got a lot of different titles. My Dream of Heaven by Ruth Springer. And it was written in the 1800s. And right after the Civil War, you know, we had, man, 650,000 people die. And America's population was much, much smaller. So the percentage of people that were dealing with death was just amazing. And she had this experience where she went to heaven for three and a half years. And she lived in heaven, and she wrote this book. And when she came back into her body and revived, she was only gone like five minutes. But her experience was three and a half years, and she wrote it. And I've given it to a lot of people because it's amazing. But I would never tell anybody to base their faith on that. It's, and she admits that she says, this is what I experienced. I don't have any explanation for it, but this is what happened to me when she died. So. I do believe it happens. I believe it's not happening more now than it used to. I just believe that we have different communication now, and you hear about it more than what people used to. But but it happens. My own son died and left his body and came back after four and a half hours. So those things happen, but I wouldn't base my faith on it. It's not going to make me more excited about heaven. I'll just go to the Word and get excited because of what heaven says.
2: A- Amen. You know, There's a scholar, and he's a personal friend of 30 years, Gary Habermas, and he, a brilliant guy, loves Jesus. He did his PhD at Michigan State. And I mention that because Gary Habermas is a very, very respected scholar and a born-again believer. He's done a lot of research on NDEs, near-death experiences, and uh, he believes that many times they are legitimate, but he would be the first to tell you, base your beliefs on Scripture, because near-death experiences, I'll tell you what their apologetics value is. Um, I think what we do know is um, when someone is clinically dead, that's flat brainwave no brain activity that's called clinical death and there are literally thousands of stories and I think medical technology has brought us into this era where people are dead very often they've even filled out a death certificate and yet the people see things hear things and then they resuscitate they come back to life and they report things that they could not have known Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact there's a very famous story it's kind of humorous where this lady died on the operating table Uh, flat brain wave, she was pronounced dead. And one of the doctors remarked that she was overweight. And when she came back to, hours later after being dead, she said, hey, why did
1: you call me fat, you know? But here's what we know. I heard another story similar about a lady that died on an operating table. And left, and the guy was having an affair with the nurse, and he was having some sexual contact with her. And when they came back into their body, they pointed it out, and the doctor knew wow. that she was dead. There was no way she could see it, but he oh, was a spirit.
2: Uh, that might have put the fear of God into him. I think so. But, but here's what we can say to a skeptical world. Clearly, the, the spirit, the soul survives death. Now, body, soul, and spirit, that's another teaching. But here's my point. There's a non-physical part of us. Person, personality survives physical death. And I I think now the the nuts and bolts of salvation, we stand and we stick to God's Word. But I I do think it's compelling that we would say to an atheist or a secularist, look, uh, plenty of scientific data shows that the person, the the soul survives physical death. And I I think that's about the main takeaway of NDE.
1: Let me just ask you, Patty, uh, why are you asking this question? Have you had a near-death experience or know somebody who has?
8: I don't know anyone who has personally, but I did have a dream recently where um, I felt like I was in heaven and I saw things and a person who is uh, crossed over. And it felt very heavenly to me. And I just wanted to know what to do with that.
1: Well, if it conforms to the Word, well, then enjoy it. But don't take your faith away from the Word and say, now I know it because of this dream. You, it just helps drive you back to the Word of God. You know, my dad died when I was 12 years old. And there's been about three times, I think, in my life that I was doing something and holding a meeting or praying for somebody, and it's just like my dad was watching, and he was pleased to see what I'm doing, Amen. and I felt, I felt like that's true. Now, I can't say that that's true from Scripture, so I don't base any faith on it. It doesn't make me love God more or love God less, but I can't see that it contradicts Scripture. The Scripture says we're s- surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, And so I just take that that could be, and if it isn't real, well, and if it was just a perception on my part, well, then it's no harm, no foul. Amen. So I believe that we, there's a lot going on that we don't know. You know, my mother, when she died, uh, she she had me pray for her every day that I'd call her, and every time I'd go see her, she'd make me pray that she'd die. She wanted to get out of here. Mm. She hung on for 14 months after she started doing that. But the week that she died, she had some nurses that were taking care of her, hospice care. And uh, she kept seeing people. And she was talking to people and calling names. Oh, yeah. And then she, one of the ladies came to us and said, who's Womack? It turns out that that's what my mother always called my dad because he was the principal of the school they were in. And they had a no fraternizing policy. And so they had to hide their their dating for a year. And she always called him Mr. Womack. Really? So when they got married, she was just calling him Mr. Womack. And my uncle said, you're going to have to drop the Mr. So she just called him Womack. But, and they said, who's Womack? It was my dad. And he was talking to her. And she was having these experiences before she died. Wow. And I believe that those things happen.
2: Amen. Well, Patty, thank you for that call. And folks, we've got a big, big show tomorrow night as well. Truth and Liberty will be back tomorrow. But I want to remind everybody uh, the conference, September 7 through 9, is just a couple of weeks away. You've got time to get to Woodland Park. It, it is super easy. You can fly into Colorado Springs and you're just a 30 minute drive. Fly into Denver, you're about an hour and a half drive. But uh, David Barton's going to be here, Chad Connolly, Andrew. I'll be here, Richard Harris. It is going to be great. You will get your batteries charged. And you're going to go home from the Truth and Liberty Conference, and you'll be confident in any situation, I believe, to stand up for the faith. And so go to the website, truthandliberty.net, and look at the conference page. Plan to be here September 7 through 9.
1: I enjoyed it, Alex. I always enjoy doing this together. Amen. We Well,
2: folks, uh, God bless you. Tell somebody about truth and liberty, but most importantly, tell everybody about Jesus. And thank you for watching. And uh, you can watch again. You can share this program with somebody. Let me tell you, our nation needs revival, and it is building, and you can be a part of it. God wants to use you to be salt and light, and truth and liberty is here to encourage you in that way. Bless you.